Good morning and welcome to our morning service. It's the last Sunday before Christmas, which of course normally would be a service when the church was was packed full of people, the children would be doing a nativity service and we would be sharing together in the anticipation of Christmas Day itself. This year Christmas is very different. But if you have joined with us for the Kingdom Kids um, service this morning, then you would have seen the retelling of the Nativity story and the fantastic way that that's been done online. And if you've joined with us for worship as well, then you would have enjoyed hearing and singing along to Christmas carols, which I don't know about you, but this, this year I've really missed the Christmas carol service that we would normally have. So it's been great to enjoy some carols this morning. But of course, being the fourth Sunday of Advent, we remember the theme of peace. We remember the peace that was brought into the world in the form of a baby, the form of a a newborn child who was God's gift to mankind. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to light our Advent candles And then we're going to look at God's word and have a think about the theme of peace and what it means to us this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, thank you that once again, wherever we happen to be, whatever um, whatever time we're watching this service, we have put time aside to release the distractions of the world to release the hopes and fears that we are personally experiencing at the moment. And instead, we've given this time to focus on you. Father God, be with us, we pray, as we, as we listen to your word this morning, as we remember what it means to be peaceful, to be a people of peace, to be a people who recognise the promised Prince of Peace as their saviour. Father God, bless us through your Holy Spirit as we remember the birth of your son. And we pray, Lord, that when we finish watching this service this morning, we will be very aware of your peace with us. So bless us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So if you've been watching our Advent series so far, you would have remembered that we have we have remembered that we've spoken about a theme of of love, of hope and of joy. And every week. Our wonderful Advent wreath with the five candles in it. We've lit one candle for each week, these candles that as they burn, they remind us of the things they represent, those themes that we remember each year in the Advent period. And so now the time's come for us to light the fourth candle, which reminds us of the peace, the peace that comes through a relationship with God, the peace that comes through the knowledge that God always fulfills his promises, as he did in that first Christmas time when his son, Christ, our saviour, was born.
one of the good things about the um, the facts that we can't all gather together is the fact that I can I get to light the Advent candle. It's the first time in years I've had the chance to do that because normally we, we call up people to come and do it. But um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that, to light the candle and to remember what God has done for us. In the middle of winter, when fogs and rains most abound, they have a great festival which they call Xmas. And for 50 days they prepare for it in the fashion I shall describe. First of all, every citizen is obliged to send to each of his friends and relations a square piece of hard paper stamped with a picture, which in their speech is called an Xmas card. But the pictures represent birds sitting on branches or trees with a dark green prickly leaf or else men in such garments as the people believe that their ancestors wore 200 years ago, riding in coaches such as their ancestors used, or houses with snow on their roofs. And the people are unwilling to say what these pictures have to do with the festival, guarding, as I suppose, some sacred mystery. And because all men must send these cards, the marketplace is filled with the crowd of those buying them, so that there is great labour and weariness. But having bought as many as they suppose to be sufficient, they return to their houses and find there the like cards which others have sent to them. And when they find cards from any to whom they also have sent cards, they throw them away and give thanks to the gods that this labour is over for at least another year. But when they find cards from any to whom they have not sent, Then they beat their breasts and wail and utter curses against the sender. And having sufficiently lamented their misfortune, they put on their boots again and go out into the fog and rain and buy a card for him also. They also send gifts to one another, suffering the same things about the gifts as about the cards or even worse. For every citizen has to guess the value of the gift which every friend will send to him, so that he may send one of equal value, whether he can afford it or not. And they buy gifts for one another as such things that no man ever bought for himself. For the sellers, understanding the custom, put forth all kinds of trumpery, and whatever being useless and ridiculous that they have been unable to sell throughout the year but they now can sell as an Xmas gift. But the few among the people have also a festival, separate to themselves, called Christmas, which is on the same day as Xmas. And those who keep Christmas, doing the opposite to the majority of the people, rise early on that day with shining faces and go before sunrise to certain temples where they partake of a sacred celebration. And in most of these temples they set out images of a fair woman with a newborn child on her knees and certain animals and shepherds adoring the child. I myself conversed with a priest in one of these temples and asked him why they kept Christmas on the same day as Xmas for it appeared to me very inconvenient. For the Xmas and the rush distract the minds, even of the few, from such sacred things. 
But the idea that Xmas and Christmas are the same is just not credible. For first, the pictures which are stamped on the Xmas cards have nothing to do with the sacred story which the priests tell about at Christmas. And secondly, for the most part, the people, though not believing the religion of the few, nevertheless send the gifts and cards and take part in the rush and drink wearing paper caps. But it is not likely that men, even being barbarians, should suffer so many great things in honour of a God they do not believe in. That piece by C.S. Lewis reminds us of the busyness of the commercial Christmas compared with the sacred side of the spiritual Christmas. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we can all identify with, with the things that he describes there. Although this is a satirical piece, it does ring true for so many of us. In a build-up to Christmas, there is, there is rush and busyness and, and there's, there's so many things to be done. There's the fear of receiving a card from someone that you haven't sent a card to. And then the mad scrambling around trying to find a blank card so that you can quickly send one to them. Or maybe there's the embarrassment of a knock on the door and someone saying, oh, here's a gift and thinking, ah, I haven't bought one for you. We've all been there. But all these things, of course, can serve as distractions from the peace of Christmas. Christmas is undoubtedly a time when, as Christian people, we should be experiencing a sense of peace. And yet, so often, we find that peace is very elusive. One of the things I've missed this year is is, um, going to carol services and hearing the Christmas scriptures read out loud, some of the the, the scriptures that we hear every year at this time. And so I've decided to include some of them, not all of them, but some of them in the sermon this morning. To begin with, we go back to Isaiah and that wonderful prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 which we go back to every year to say, look, this is where the birth of Christ was prophesied. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The Prince of Peace, for whom the increase of peace will see no end. It's very easy, isn't it, to read those words and think, hang on, (laughs) hang on a second. That's not quite true, is it? There hasn't been an increase in peace throughout the world. There hasn't been an increase in in the authority. Surely that prophecy hasn't actually been realised. Are we sure that this is reliable? Are we sure that God's fulfilled that promise? Well, when we talk about peace, we have to remember that sometimes with these sorts of themes, What God means by peace is very different 
to what we mean by peace. The way that we interpret peace is often incorrect. So when we look at ourselves, when we look at ourselves and say, what does peace mean to us? We often mean the end of conflict, a resolution. Maybe it means we've finally got our own way. I've been, I've been really worrying about this, but things have actually gone in my favour. I've got the outcome that I was hoping for and now I feel at peace. And sometimes we can get to find that a conflict has ended and we're on the receiving end. We've lost out and then we don't feel peaceful. We feel angry. We feel resentful. And we hang on to it. And we don't have any sort of peace. Instead, as time passes, we slowly learn to to put aside the negative feelings that we've experienced. We often think of peace in terms of a happy, relaxed state of mind where we've got no worries, no worries at all. We can look back to the Garden of Eden when God looked at his creation and he was pleased. And he created man and he created woman and he was very pleased. And in those moments, we can imagine a a state of utter peace. There was no anxiety, there was no displeasure, there was nothing negative. Until suddenly Adam and Eve fall prey to the serpent and they eat of the forbidden fruit. And then they hide from God because they've got something to be ashamed of. And shame is a a negative emotion. If you're feeling shame, then you're not at peace. And then we see them being banished and there is division. And where there there is division, there is not peace. But actually, peace can have a very different meaning. When we look at that prophecy from Isaiah where he talks about the authority, governments resting on his shoulders. When we talk about the increase of peace that he will bring. It's very easy to say that's not been fulfilled. We look around the world and we see just as much conflict and strife and and oppression and persecution as as we've ever seen. If anything, it feels like things have got worse rather than better. There's been a, a decrease in peace rather than an increase. But when we come to Christmas time, it's a perfect opportunity to remind ourselves of what Jesus meant when he spoke about peace. I've been really struck recently when I've gone back over the, the, na- the nativity narrative, when I've read the, the familiar verses and some of the less familiar ones as well that, that tell the story of how Jesus came into the world. One of the things that's really struck me that I've meditated on and really been looking at closely is is Mary's song, which we find in Luke chapter one, starting at verse 46. Now, before we read this passage, I just want us to think about the situation Mary was in. Mary was a teenage girl, unmarried, and she's betrothed to get married to Joseph, we know this. And then she has a visitation from an angel who's 
who tells her that she's going to have a baby, that this is going to be the son of God. The Holy Spirit is planting the seed within her. We know that Joseph made plans to divorce her, to end the arrangements that have been put in place for them to get married. But then he too has a visit from an angel. And he too is given assurances that things will be okay. Now, under Jewish law at the time, Mary should have been stoned to death for committing adultery, for having a child outside wedlock. She should have been stoned to death for that. But some people say this was a convenient excuse. They created this whole story around around visitations from angels and Jesus being the son of God. Actually, do you know what? She had committed adultery. It's just a story. But when we look at Mary's situation, what she actually did was she said, an angel came to see me. God's the one that's made me pregnant. This is God's doing. So Mary adds to the charge of adultery, a charge of blasphemy. In her hometown, Mary would have been vilified. How dare you bring God into this? You've broken his law. You've acted abysmally. You've let him down. You've disappointed him. And now you blame him? That's another charge for which you should be stoned to death. Now, normally when there was a census, it was only the male head of a family that was required to travel to his hometown. So why then does Mary accompany Joseph on the way to Bethlehem? Maybe it's because she wanted to be with him. He'd offered security. He was the only person who'd also had a visit from the angel who actually really wholeheartedly believed in the story that she had told. Or maybe... It was because she wasn't safe in her own town. She had to get away. We don't know. But what we do know is that when Mary visits Elizabeth, she is in a predicament. She doesn't know what reception she's going to have when she returns home. She doesn't know what's going to happen, whether she's going to survive the birth of her child. Many women didn't in those days. She doesn't know what's going to happen, whether or not there's going to be further visits from angels or, or what this baby's going to look like. She doesn't know whether, whether her and her child are going to survive. She doesn't know what's going to happen. What does it mean to have the Son of God growing in your womb? What is going to happen? She had every reason to be terrified. She had every reason to be angry, every reason to be crying out, God, why have you done this? Where are you? What's going on? How can you treat me like this? You see, we know the full story and we can say, oh, she must have felt so blessed. Bet she wasn't feeling blessed at the time. Why can't I have a peaceful life like everyone else? She had every right to be feeling like that. But she doesn't feel like that. Instead, these are the words that she comes out with. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She goes on 
celebrating what God does in the world, what God has done for her, for his people corporately as well. This is a a song of praise. It's not a song crying out desperately. Why have you done this to me? It's a song that begins, my soul glorifies the Lord. If you're feeling angry with God, if you're feeling in a state of turmoil, you don't begin by saying my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. You don't begin like that at all. Mary is at peace. That's the only explanation for Mary's song. She's at peace. This peace is not something that's easy to understand, but we know that Jesus was accompanied by peace when he was born. When the shepherds appeared, sorry, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, they sang glory to God in highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. Christmas is a time when we should be at peace. But the peace that we should be at is not the peace that we would expect to find in the world. Jesus himself in John 14 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, the peace that I'm talking about isn't the peace that the world talks about. These are two very different things. The peace I'm talking about is even though your hearts have got every reason to be troubled, even though you've got reason to be afraid, don't be. Because my peace is not a peace that comes at the, con- at the resolution of a conflict. It's not a peace that comes when the antagonism has gone. Instead, this is a peace that I want you to experience in the heart of the storm, in the middle of the battle, at the moment that you're absorbing the terrible news, at the point at which your heart is broken, that's where you'll find my peace. That's where Jesus meets us. Have you ever been in a situation where you suddenly, you're going through turmoil, you're going through um, an awful, horrendous time, and yet you suddenly check yourself, you pause, and you almost ask yourself, why am I feeling so calm? Why am I feeling so peaceful? I don't understand it. I should be, I should be on the edge at the moment. I should be about to blow up at any second. I should be facing a breakdown, and yet somehow I'm all right with this. That's the peace that Jesus speaks about. That's the peace that allows Mary to call out, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. That's the peace that allows Mary to treasure up all the things in her heart and ponder them as she as she's given birth to Jesus and she sees the shepherds coming and worshipping and then going out and spreading the good news and then returning to worship some more. This is the peace that Jesus wants us to experience. This is the Prince of Peace in action. 
We look around the world and we see oppressive governments, we see things we don't agree with, we see things which we know are wrong. And we say, where is God? Well, God is here. God is right here with us. His peace is with us. Make no mistake, one day we will all be called to account for what we've done. Every action, every word, every thought. But if we've called on the name of Jesus, if we followed him, then through him our salvation is secure. If we've repented of our sin, if we've called for the forgiveness that Jesus enabled us to call for when he died on the cross and rose again, defeated death, when he gave himself as a perfect sacrifice, then our salvation is assured. And so when we experience wrong in the world, when we see things which we know are not right, we can still, we can still live our lives in peace. In Psalm 20, 29, verse 11, it says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Whatever we're going through, we can be blessed with peace. We should pray for it. We should ask God to give us his peace. Even when we're facing a situation that is anything but peaceful, we should ask God to bring about peace. But then we should also be prepared to be people of peace. We shouldn't be the the antagonists in a situation. We should be the peacemakers. We should be the calming influence rather than the ones that throw fuel on the fire. We shouldn't go out looking for a fight unless we're looking for it in order to defuse it. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Apostle Paul begins every one of his letters with with the words grace and peace to you. The grace of God, the peace of the Holy Spirit. If we live in an attitude of peace, then it doesn't mean that we won't experience difficulty and conflicts, but it does mean that we won't add to it, that we won't be contributing. Instead, as far as it depends on us, we will do our best to live at peace with everyone. So how can we how can we have that peace? Where does it come from? What is it that, that allows enables some people to seem seemingly have this inner peace? Why is it that sometimes in, in the, the, mo- the worst of circumstances we can suddenly feel the strongest sense of peace that we've known? Well, peace is very closely linked to faith. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You, God, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. If we are struggling with our faith, if we're questioning God, if we're, if we're allowing ourselves to, to be drawn further and further away, then suddenly that peace is disrupted. I came across a a Celtic prayer recently, which was a discipline. It was um, a prayer which I think came from uh, the time of, of St. Patrick. And uh, he, was, he was living in Ireland. He was, a, um, he was 
laboring, but he was also spreading the gospel. And he was living under the authority of, of Druid rulers and he wasn't popular. And every day he faced different dangers and different um, attacks and conflicts. And the prayer began every line, I bind myself to Christ. And this idea of binding ourselves, it's a very deliberate act. When you bind something, you pull it tight. You make sure there's no give, there's no movement, there's no gap between the two things that you're binding together. And if there's no gap, then there's no space for anything to get in between. And when one, when one thing is wobbled, so the other is. Any movement affects both. Any, any change is changed together. When we bind ourselves to God, when we bind ourselves so closely that there is no gap between him and us, we are holding steadfastly to him. Then whatever disturbances, whatever turbulence, whatever storm we go through, we cling fast to him. And there is no gap which can build a distance and cause us to let go of him. In Philippians, Paul writes, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace of God that transcends all understanding. It's the peace that we suddenly experience in the middle of a conflict. It's the peace that Mary experiences when she's facing so many uncertainties and accusations. It's the peace that the shepherds experience when the angels are, are, are shining in the sky before them. It's the peace that defies logic. It's the peace that, that we simply cannot account for other than knowing that it's out of character because it's not our character, it's God's character because we've bound ourselves so tightly to him that we're experiencing his presence in our lives. When we talk about peace, we're talking about the presence of God. At the end of John's gospel, when Jesus appears in a room with his disciples, he says, peace be with you. It's when he's sending them out with the Holy Spirit upon them to go and, and, and do deeds in his name, to spread his good news, to let people know that Christ is risen. He says, peace be with you. What was the name that Mary was told by the angel Gabriel to give to her child? Emmanuel. God with you. And so this Christmas time, if you're feeling a sense of loss, disappointment, turmoil, sadness, fear, anxiety, then remember Mary. Remember her song. Read it, study it, meditate on it. Cherish it. And ask God to bless you with his peace. I remember when I was a child, Christmas Eve was one of my favourite times of the year because we wouldn't get any presents down under the tree or anything like that. It would all be done on Christmas Eve in the evening and there'd be, um, there'd be the excitement of, of, of Santa coming. We were all looking forward to that and it would be a real magical time. 
But I remember that my mum had a um, probably a cassette or maybe even an LP of um, Carols at King's. And she had put that on. And we'd have it playing on these terrible tinny old speakers that we used to have. And it probably sounded atrocious. But in my memory, it sounded amazing because there was a choir singing carol after carol after carol. And the words resonated. And I remember that. And I remember Christmas Eve as being a very peaceful time, a really joyful time. But that's not what it's about. That's sentiment. And we are so good at sentimentalising Christmas. Actually, the true peace doesn't come in remembering some carols being played, a distant memory. True peace comes through the living word of God, through his Holy Spirit, who was sent to us by his son, Jesus Christ, who was born in a stable, who lay in a manger, this tiny little baby. In that moment, our great God was actually a little God. And that little God grew up and changed the world. He reset our calendar. He affected the lives of billions of people. And he still does today because he is still living and active today in the world around us. And if we bind ourselves to him, if we bind ourselves to his spirit, if we do not allow any gap or wiggle room to exist between us and him, then that peace which transcends all understanding will be with us because his name was Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father God, you know every step of the path that we walk. You know every argument we have. You know every time that we fail to live in peace. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness for those times. We recognise, Lord, that we should always seek to live in peace with those around us. We should always seek peace in our own hearts. And Father, we thank you that when we look at your word, we can see the demonstration of peace. We can see what you mean when you talk about true peace. Peace is not the feeling that we have at the end of a conflict or at the end of anxiety. Instead, true peace is the peace that you bring in the middle of the storm. It's the peace that you brought to that teenage girl who had a child growing inside her, facing stoning to death, facing all sorts of slander and accusation, facing a lifetime smeared. And yet she worshipped you. She knew your peace. Father, this Christmas time, bless us, we pray, with peace. Bless us with that peace that transcends all understanding, that defies all logic, that makes no sense, but which enables us to endure more than we can 
ever imagine. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for that truth. That one day you will return. One day Jesus will return to this earth. Once and for all. And that peace will reign eventually. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, and bless us this Christmas week. Amen.